Good morning. Oh, hello. Anyway. Morning, everyone. <laughs> All right, the scripture reading today is from Philippians 1, 27 to 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. My name's Jeremy. I've been coming to my son, Boat. Um, we've been at Subi Church for the past few years, but then uh, when COVID was happening, uh, we felt God was telling us that it was time to uh, step into another community um, and landed here in Fremantle. Uh, a little bit about me. I work for Churches of Christ Western Australia uh, in their head office. My role with them for the past three years sounds super made up. Um, that's probably because it is. Uh, my role's been sports minister. Um, so as many people were watching the AFL Grand Final, I was working yesterday watching the AFL Grand Final. Um, but uh, as a sports minister, I've run big events using sport as kind of a bridge to work with church and community. Um, and now I've just stepped into a role with Churches of Christ, still doing the sports stuff a couple days a week, but now as a church development minister. So I work with senior pastors, youth and young adults, pastors, associates. So I work with a lot of leadership constantly. So I don't get to do this. I don't get to chat with people uh, in a congregation kind of setting very often anymore. Uh, and I miss it. Um, I'm from Massachusetts originally, which most of you would recognize the accent very easily. We're just a dime a dozen here at Fremantle, the Americans, so it's all right. You're quite used to this. Um, but I've been here in Australia. It'll be 10 years uh, going on February this year coming up, so almost 10 years and pretty much in ministry the whole time. So we want to just cover a very simple topic today. I want to talk about something. I'm very much about the basics of Christianity, and if we could do the basics really well, I think that will lead to greater things in our lives. So we want to ask this question of what does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? And when I use that term gospel, I just mean the good news of Jesus Christ, this message that we get from the Bible of who Christ is and what that means and what's that application for our lives. So, so what does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? And I was trying to think of a, a picture of that or, or, or something I could show you that this is kind of what I think of when I think of a Christian life. And probably the closest thing that comes to mind is this picture of a, of a mosaic. And I don't know if anyone spent some time in Europe, but they have some beautiful mosaic. They'll have beautiful uh, pictures uh, of mosaics or, or patterns. And it's all these little pieces of tile. 
Sometimes they're broken, sometimes they're chipped, but they're put together in such a way that they make this beautiful pattern or this beautiful picture. And I think that's a lot like what the Christian life is like. We're broken people. We're messed up. We have our flaws. We like to, maybe myself, I like to put on this picture that I'm perfect and everything's okay and that there's no turmoil going inside of me. Uh, But I'm broken. I messed up. I make mistakes. I'm shattered. But yet God can take those little pieces and those things that you have that are unique to you and paint this beautiful picture and put together in such a way that you can see this full pattern or you can see this picture. And hopefully that picture is one of who Jesus is. But, and as Jesus kind of transforms our lives and, and he, he changes our hearts uh, with his word, this picture becomes clearer and clearer. So we're going to look at four simple characteristics or four things I see from mainly this Philippians 1 text uh, uh, that kind of define this life worthy of a gospel. And I just, I like points because it's easy for my mind to work. I'm a little bit ADHD, so I jump around a lot, so it it helps me to focus in. But Paul's writing uh, to the church uh, in Philippians, and I'm just going to read a quick background because we've been talking about who Jesus is. Um, So this is new to us. So I'm going to just read what the International Bible Society says about Philippians and the purpose for it. It says, Paul's primary purpose in writing this letter was to thank the Philippians for the gift they had sent him upon the learning of his detention at Rome. However, he makes use of this uh, occasion to fulfill several other desires, to report on his own circumstance, to encourage the Philippians to stand firm in the face of persecution and rejoice regardless of circumstance, to strongly encourage them to humility and unity, to commend Timothy and Epaphroditus to the Philippian church and to warn the Philippians against the legalists and libertines among them. So he's thanking them, trying to encourage them, but he's also warning them about some, some misbelief and things that are going on. So that kind of sets the background. And we're mainly going to just be in Philippians 1. I think I have one verse that's not in Philippians 1. Um, so to live this life worthy of the gospel, just four simple points. First, I don't think it's easy. It's probably not the first point you should bring up. Uh, when sharing the gospel to people. But I don't think this, this faith is easy. I don't think Christianity is just a breeze. I don't think it's always a walk in the park. I don't think that there's no trouble that's going to happen. Living a life worthy of the gospel is hard. In Philippians 1.12, Paul wrote, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me? He's writing this from prison, and he's saying, oh, I know this has happened to me, but, but it's actually for a better purpose. It's actually so that the gospel can spread, that this good news can spread. So the first point is to live a life worthy of the gospel. It's not easy, but it's hopeful. That's the best way I can explain it. It's not easy, but it's hopeful. That's how Paul, who's in prison in this moment, can be writing this letter to them and praying for them. In Philippians 1, 4 through 6, Paul says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. He's in prison. He's praying with joy for this church because he's heard all these good messages about them. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
From the time that they started up until this moment, they're progressing with sharing this good news of who Christ is. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul being in prison, struggling with what's going on, you know, uh, being in shackles for his belief, but still being able to have joy and hope and to thank God for this church in Philippians, I think is a, a beautiful picture to us that, that this Christian life isn't easy, but, but there's hope in it. There's hope for something more. There's hope for something beyond. Later on, we'll hear, hear Paul talk about to live for Christ, but to die is gain. This idea that if I'm here, I can serve you, and, and I'm hopeful with what you're going to do and the way you're going to lead me and grow me and mold me and shape me. But at the same time, like, I'm happy to just be with you. That it's hard, that we're not made for this world. I think we forget that. I think when we live in Western culture and we have great coffee and great movies and friends and chats and beautiful houses, we, we forget that this world is still broken that we're not made for, for here, we're made to be with God one day. But yet we want to hold on to that. So it's hard. There's going to be things that come up. C.S. Lewis writes, God knows our situation. He will not judge us as if we had no difficulties to overcome. What matters is the sincerity and perseverance of our will to overcome them. I think when I was growing up, uh, me and my best friend James, we used to um, talk every night in high school on the phone, and we used to argue theology with each other. And uh, our parents couldn't tell us to go to bed because we were talking about the Bible, right? <laughs> Some would say he was my first girlfriend. Um, but James and I would argue, and we were so black and white back in, in those days, when we were in high school, we, we were so black and white, this is the way it is. And I think as I've matured kind of in my faith, I think there's more gray. I think God looks at the heart way more than anything else. Yes, I think the Bible's great, and I think it's God's word, and I think we should follow it. But I think God looks at the heart, you know? If I met a rich young man that asked me, what does it take to, to see the kingdom of God? What does it take to, to be with God? I would probably say, oh, you just got to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. What does Jesus say in that situation? Sell everything and follow me. The black and white answer wasn't the right answer. God knew the heart. God knew that there was something bigger that was being asked than that. So I know the gospel, it's hard. This life isn't easy, but it's hopeful. Second, I think, to live a life worthy of the gospel of this good news it's a call to action. There's this little nugget in the Bible that I love called the Great Commission, uh, and it's in Matthew 28. This is the only verse that's not in Philippians 1. It says, Then Jesus came to say to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. I don't know if you understand the ramification of all authority. It would be wo like walking into a car dealership and he... And someone going, all I have all authority. I own this car dealership. I own every car here. Go take your pick. You know, like, you'd be like, sweet, that one. Um, but God's saying the same thing. All authority. I have all authority here and beyond. And this is what I'm asking you to do. 
So the guy with all authority here on earth and beyond, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That word disciple get, gets really, we can argue what that means, but, but if we can take it out of its simplest form of helping move people closer to who Jesus is, that's our call. Some would not even say it's therefore go. It's like as you're going, as you're already going to work, as you're already having coffee with friends, as you're already going, how can we help people look a little bit more like who Jesus is, bring them a little bit closer to him? And he gives us some things that we can do in this. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Uh, I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of this, the age. I could get really stuck on this point. Uh, I talk about this stuff a lot because I think uh, as Australians, um, as I understand this culture even, even more and more, I, I see a lot of young Australians who would rather go and build a limestone wall at a friend's place than to open up and say three words about their faith uh, to their friends. Like, we're happy to be in community, but we're not always happy to open our mouth. And I'm not saying you need to go Bible bash, but, but there is a call to action. I don't think everyone's a gifted evangelist. I don't think that everyone has that skill, but, but I think everyone's called to discipleship. So we still have a part to play in this. We have an active role in living a life worthy of the gospel. Paul continues on in Philippians 1, 15 through 18, saying, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. So some people preach it for the wrong motives. Some people preach it for the right motives. Those that preach it out of goodwill, he says, the latter do so out of love because they love and care. Knowing that I am put here in defense of the gospel. The former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. But what does it matter? The important thing, that it, uh, the important thing is that in every way, whether false motives are true, Christ is preached, and because of that, I rejoice. Paul's heart is that Christ is preached. It's, it, it's that people take this action, that people hear the name of who Jesus is. He's like, some people are trying to preach out of uh, bad motives that, that it might stir up something when I get out of prison that's not right for me. And some people preach it out of goodwill and love. But he's like, at the end of the day, Christ's name is being lifted up. And for that, I rejoice. And I think sometimes we stop and we don't want to share and we don't want to open up about what we believe because we're worried about the follow-up questions. Oh, I don't know everything. I don't know what to give them. It's all right. I'm not an expert on this. I don't expect if my friend is a fan of the Geelong Cats or the Br Brisbane Lions or the Richmond Tigers that I expect them to know every single thing about that team. But to say I'm on this team and, and, and to talk about my faith, if someone has a question you don't know, you can say, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy to find out more. I'm happy to look into that for you. Being willing to open up out of the overflow uh, that we live in, be real, is what we need to do. 
McCrindle released uh, a survey recently about faith uh, and culture in, in Australia. And McCrindle says the number one attraction, people say, to Christianity was seeing people live out a genuine faith. I thought, wow. Like, people do look. People are watching. So even though it's not easy all the time, but it's hopeful, there's this call to action. There, there's something that we need to do, and if we're living out this general, genuine faith, third is, I think, to live a life worthy of the gospel, obviously not easy but hopeful, a call to action. It's a call to relationship. Philippians 1, 21 through 24 says, For to me to live for Christ and die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. If I go on living, I'm going to serve Christ in all that I do. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary that for you that I remain in the body. Paul's living in this turmoil of going, like, in some ways, I'd just rather die and be with Christ, which sounds super morbid. But he's like, it's better that I'm here, that, that I can share the things, that I can help grow what God is doing. He understood this call to relationship. And within relationship, we see sacrifice. If anyone's married, you understand this very clearly. Paul's willing to die for what he believes. So within this call to relationship, we see, we see two relationships that are really formed. We need to have a relationship with Christ for ourselves, but we also need to have relationships with those around us, to our community as Christians and to those outside the community. But your relationship with God is pivotal to look more like Him. To live a life worthy of the gospel means you need to be in a relationship with the one that that good news is about. But you cannot disciple someone if you don't have a relationship with them. You cannot tell others about someone that you don't know at all. It would be hard to sacrifice for something that you know nothing about. So relationships are key on this journey to who Christ is. So our fourth and kind of final point, first, it's hard, but it's hopeful. Second, to live a life worthy of the gospel, it's a call to action. Third, it's a call to relationship. And fourth, it's a call to unity. If we want to see God move in amazing ways uh, through those around us, through our church, through our city, through our state, through Australia, through the world. I don't think that it's going to take chance that it's going to be one organization doing it or one person. It's a call to community. It's a call to, to unity. That we actually need each other. When I was working very closely in the youth space, um, the amount of youth that, that I saw really flourish in their faith and grow compared to those that kind of got stagnant and dropped off, it was all determined on whether or not they had one friend that could challenge them that they were close to. There was a couple outliers that I can chat with you about later and why I think that they did it. 
Um, but usually it was someone that they journeyed with helped challenge them along, that they spurred each other along. Like we're built to be in community. In Western culture, we love to have our individualistic faith and our individualistic beliefs, but there's, we're called to this, we're called to, to intermingle, to have food together, to chat, to live life together. Philippians 1.27 says this, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. When I stepped uh, into this role as for Churches of Christ uh, as a sports minister, we had a lot of these events that were really great, don't get me wrong, and they were really great within themselves. Uh, but this is what I felt was missing. This has been kind of what I've been preaching to our churches for, for the last few years. That we need to have a bigger focus than just our, our singular church. That we need this call to unity. That as great as a single event might be, there's something greater. And, and there's 364 days that aren't those events. And that we want people to come together and be in community but we want people to grow in who Christ is. And we want to see something beyond that. So this is my prayer uh, for WA. This is my prayer for the churches and the community around uh, that we would live this life worthy of the gospel. That although it will be hard at times, we still have hope. That we don't fall into despair, but, but we trust uh, in God. That's a call to action, that we actually have to do something, that we have a part in this, this life worthy of the gospel, that it's not just for those paid Christians that preach on a Sunday morning, that it's our role as the church to do something more, that it's a call to relationships, that we need to love those in our neighborhoods, and COVID's been the best thing for that because we're actually talking to those around us, and that it's a call to unity that we need to live together, that we need to love, and we need to share um, what God has given us. Let me just pray. Lord God, just as we listen to your word and listen to what you have for us, we just pray that we can live this life that's worthy of the gospel, that we can understand your good news and that we can share it with others, that we can truly just live a life dedicated to you. And although we're going to mess up and although we're going to fall short and although we're broken people, uh, you have the best for us. So Lord, just as we head out today, as we go into our weeks, uh, as we finish up here, uh, let us love, let us live in a way that's um, worthy of this. But let us just be a blessing to others because you are such a blessing to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.